Welcome to the seventh and final week on Ephesians. Last I heard, Josh, are we still headed to Westminster next week? Yes. All right. So we're gonna. If you were, if you've been here a long time, we we're working our way through a summary of the Westminster Confession. We stopped, and we're gonna pick that back up, and probably take it to the end. So we'll do that for a few weeks after this. Who here has ever been in war? <laughs> really? That's true. Well, that was part of the trick question. <clears throat> well, I, okay, I didn't know that. Be the only one more. Well, I, I can't imagine my time in the 20th, 21st century war in the Air Force is the same as what Paul is talking about here. You know, going away from for years and putting on armor and close hand-to-hand combat, but. Um, you know, you, you guys have seen movies, and you can just imagine uh, what war does as far as sharpening your focus. You've got a pretty clear objective. A lot of worries of life kind of fade away. Uh, years ago here, we studied a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. And John Piper was talking about in the, in the realm of missions and evangelism, we should have a wartime mentality as far as, you know, in a sense, rationing our resources as a nation, as a church, um, as to, to, because we have, a, we have a goal that needs to be funded and, and resourced. And, 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 and he ta- got into spiritual warfare and just the spiritual battles uh, that are at play in missions. And so all of that is true. We, we, need to, we need to focus and understand how important this battle is. But in this chapter, this isn't primarily about missions, but about our own experience. We are not the ones sending troops out to war. Um, we're also those who are engaged in war. And you don't have to have been to war to, to experience a lot of the things that are true there. If you've had any moment of just feeling danger for your life, and I don't mean a fleeting moment, something that lasts like an hour or two hours, um, where you really, your heart is beating, and um, there's a real risk, you feel a real risk, and you've got to be quick on your feet, uh, and think about what you need to do, rely on your training. Um, you've probably been in those situations. Uh, or maybe it's, it's something like, you know, if you got a call that someone's been in a car accident and you're running to the hospital and you don't know what you're going to find there. You know, you just, it, it's, it's a bit of confusion. Uh, those types of feelings we've all had. And they're, but they're true in war. And so that's, that mentality, understanding and thinking of what warfare is like, is what, Paul's using that imagery here, and it's, it's for a reason. It's not just to be cute. Um, we are engaged in a spiritual war. And this is a common passage about the armor of God, so let's, let's approach it. I'll, I'll try to approach it in a new light, only in the sense that I want to keep tying it to everything we've been learning in Ephesians. Um, but first, Guion is going to read for us and pray for us. I didn't tell you that. So go ahead. Uh, we are in chapter 6, verse 10 to the end of the book. Confirm them without the truth buckling around your waist. 
the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the weapons that come into the gospel of peace, and the vision tool that is taken up the shield of faith, with which you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, and all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord Jesus. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, you be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. In such a case, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything, so you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love and faith in the God of the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, and that I am. Lord, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that we can all gather here today to listen to your word. We pray that you would sound that will give the words to speak, that you speak through them, Lord. We pray that you would be with us as well. We pray that you will open our ears and hearts to accept what's being taught, Lord. We thank you for your armor. Thank you for how it protects us and that we can go into battle. We encourage that. We give to us, Lord. Amen. The key verse we've been using this whole study is Ephesians 1.3. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we're going to see those come out today in, in real clarity. Um, yeah, we'll just jump into it. Alright, so first thing I just want to... Uh, there's three A's basically I want you to see. Well, you'll see it in a sheet. Three A's we're going to talk about today. First, we're going to look at our adversary, our enemy. We're going to look at the armor itself. In very summary, we don't have time to jump into all the details. Your sheet's going to go in much further detail than I will, if you want to have that for your own study. Our adversary, our armor, and then our actions. There's some actions that we're called to here. So the first thing is, uh, in verse 12 there, we are wrestling against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Uh, back in chapter 3, he says that, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So when you hear the word heaven, you, you think of heaven, right? You think of where God is, and, and heaven is good, as opposed to hell. <clears throat> it seems to me that's not exactly how it's being used here. Heavenly places would be more of just the spiritual realm, because we have the evil forces there. Unless it's like back in Job, where the devil comes in, you know, into the heavenly places in God's presence. But I think just in general, think of this as the spiritual realm. And, and so Christ is, we, we, the church can now um, broadcast the wisdom of God to that whole spiritual realm, to good angels and bad angels, to, that not just to people. We, the gospel isn't just preached to, to, to human beings for the purpose of missions and evangelism. It's also being broadcast to the spiritual forces. Um, and the words rulers, authorities, powers, forces, this denotes real power. So these aren't impotent foes that we're up against. They're not just enemies of our own imagination. These are real powers that exist. And there's a real struggle going on. But that's okay, because in chapter 1, we find that Christ has been raised far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things. So Christ isn't just over all things in this realm. He's not just over governments and warlords uh, and, and our own homes and our own hearts. He's above everything. He's above all spiritual forces. We see in Revelation these pictures of these spiritual battles going on. And Jesus is the conqueror. So any, any battle we're going to talk about today, any spiritual force we're going to talk about, our Savior is he's powerful. And he's conquered. And he's capable of anything uh, that we're up against. It talks about these uh, cosmic powers of the, over the darkness. And darkness is basically the opposite of light. 2 Corinthians 11 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. But he's not that. He's not, he's not light. He's, he's going he's gonna to come in a way that is attractive, that's deceptive. You can turn back to chapter 5, verses 8 to 14. We went over this before. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And so there's a description of darkness. It's, it's things that are not good. They're not right. They're not true. They're not pleasing to the Lord. These are, these are opposites. Those in the darkness produce unfruitful things, unfruitful works. And they're shameful. They're things that are full of shame. And so, Paul was telling us in chapter 5 to, that we were once in darkness, but now we're in light. It, it's a complete binary, mutually exclusive categories. Uh, at times, it, you know, our, our spiritual, our experience sometimes we would describe as a journey, right, and a path. And, and at an experiential level, that's true. And then once we become a Christian, we feel a journey of, of sanctification and growing in grace. And that's true. But it, there's all, it's also true that from the level of, of objectivity, from God's standpoint, you are either in darkness or you're in light. You can't have both. There's no mix there. There's no spectrum there. It, it's completely opposite to one another. Colossians 1, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So if you are a Christian, at some point, if you experienced exactly that moment or not, at some point you were transferred. You, you were once here and now you're here. You're not in two places at once. Kind of like on Star Trek when you get teleported. Right? At one point you're here and then you're there. Uh, oh, no. Duplication? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I didn't watch Star Trek. I shouldn't have used it. <laughs> So we're always in some kind of spiritual realm. Everyone in the world is engaged in some kind of spiritual battle. They may not know it. They may not acknowledge it, but it's true. It's going on at all times. Also, he says that the spiritual forces of evil, in verse 16, he's called the evil one. Chapter 4, he's called the devil. So our enemy is morally opposed to God, to the Holy Spirit. It's the opposite of holy. It's immorality that needs to be exposed in verse 14. It's the prince of the power of the air, chapter 2. And how many people do you know that would claim to be spiritual? Um, they might hear, maybe you say, oh, you know, what did you do this weekend? I was at church. Oh, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. 
And they're the most immoral people you've ever met. They have, they have no regard for any standards of righteousness, and yet they're spiritual. As if that's a good thing. As if that's a safe thing to be spiritual. Of course you're spiritual. There's a kingdom of darkness. You have a father of lies that you're serving. How is that a safe place to be? Yeah, Ralph. Well, there's one devil, but there are, there's a whole spectrum of fallen angels, right? And, and powers. There's, the devil's just in charge. He's just at the top of the pyramid. I'm just, say, I'm just saying that I, 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 I this, this, this whole scenario of the power of the devil doesn't fit my view of, of Scripture, God, and the world. And, um, Keep reading. <laughs> Change your view a little bit, maybe. I no, I I'm with you. <laughs> well, isn't it true that the, any demon is far more powerful than Absolutely. Yeah, if we didn't have but Jesus you ruling, God, you can only do what God allows. Sure. You know, I, sure. And he's, God's got a purpose in this wrestling, in this struggle. Yeah. What, what do you mean by it doesn't matter? Why are we here today? If it doesn't matter, why are we studying this? No, I, mean, I think you mean something else. <laughs> oh, because God is stronger. Absolutely. Right. Well, it doesn't matter as long as we're in Him and fighting with the, the power that He supplies. These are God's words, and God said this stuff. So you can't, I can't just say Sure, sure, sure. All right. We'll see if you're still clear at the end. All right. Um, although these are spiritual forces and there is a non-physical entity um, these forces take some kind of a physical and experiential form and so it's not like some you know it's not us and the devil across from and our avatars are fighting out there you know and it's just come to this ethereal thing going on and we don't really understand it we experience this realm 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 is a really important one. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So the, the, the temptation is, is because what we experience is the flesh and things that we can see and feel. And so we might think that it's a war against the flesh. That's not true. The warfare that we experience in the flesh is actually a spiritual warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not in the, of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion uh, raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so there's, a, there's two categories I see here in 2 Corinthians 10. He talks about arguments and opinions and knowledge and thought. And so one way spiritual warfare comes to us is through worldly philosophies. Worldly philosophies. In Ephesians 4, he said that, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's, that's what we're up against. See to it that, this is Colossians 2, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so, as we are engaged in um, just discussions with our friends, uh, watching TV, watching social media, a spiritual battle is going on. And so, you know, the devil's going to come as an angel of light, and the music, the beat's really good, or, you know, you like the characters on this series, or there's someone that you just really like, and, you, uh, and, and they're espousing things, and, and the devil is whispering th- through those things that seem good and are good, the devil's whispering lies, and it's making you, it's making us, you know, more open to things that are just, tr- they're lies, they're not true things. And, and we start changing our opinions and our thoughts. We've got to realize that in those moments, we're actually in a spiritual battle that we need to be prepared for. We need this armor. We need the knowledge of God. We need to be built up and ready so we can detect things that aren't true and not to be lured by them and wooed by them. Very tightly close uh, to worldly philosophies would be ignorance and hard-heartedness. In chapter 4, he says, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So futility of mind, darkened understanding, ignorance, hardness of heart. Um, that's, the, the devil's trying to, to weaken us and, and to, to find a hole in our armor and, uh, and to grow callous and to, to grow hardened and to, to not care about sin so much. You know, if you... We saw this in Hebrews 5 and in lots of places. If you're not progressing and growing in the Christian life, you're not standing still. It's not a neutral place. It's not like a, a rest on a hike. You're just going to take a little break. If you're not climbing, you're falling. And so if, if, you, if you find yourself kind of in a lull in your life and just feel a little cold, a little distant, that's a time not to just sit back and complain. That's a time to go to war. That's the time to, to, to gird the loins and, and think about these truths and, and pray to God that that is a dangerous place to be. Because as you let yourself just become cold a little bit, it, it, you, you can become hard and callous and, and you don't understand, you don't perceive spiritual truths. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's right where the devil wants us to be. So there's things about the mind there in 2 Corinthians 10, but also our, our desires and our conduct. He says, ready to punish every disobedience. In chapter 2, with the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works at sons of disobedience, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. In John 8, Jesus said, you are the fa- of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And so we, once we're hardened and we're callous and we, we, we're not sensing the spirit or, or we're pushing him away, we're, 
we start to have different passions, and it arouses our passions. And, and we're open to those things. And, of course, it comes out in our disobedience. I thought this is where I was going to say Romans 2, but not yet. All right. And, I'll, of course, maybe Job, I don't know how, how much of an example the Job story is in, in all of our stuff, but, but in general, and it kind of goes to Ralph's mental challenge here, is that somehow God is behind all this. We know the story of Job, that Job has experienced these amazing things in physical form. You know, natural things like fire and wind and the death of his children. Um, eventually, you know, the sores on his skin and stuff. Um, the, the marauders, the, the enemies were coming. So these things were really physical. And yet behind it all, we get, we get the glimpse of what's going on in heaven. <laughs> that the devil and Jesus are like betting. <laughs> you know, they're gambling. It's like, like God is, it almost seems like he's setting him up. He's daring Satan. Um, whatever all was going on, but there's this, this entire spiritual reality going on to Job's experience. He doesn't see. I mean, I don't even know how much he finally knows. He does know in the end that God's behind it all. And that's true in our own lives, um, in whatever sense, that God is still in control. Why he lets the devil do this, I don't know. Other than things like our sanctification. We wanna, he doesn't want us to love this world. He wants us to turn to him. Uh, the, but God's, God knows what he's doing, but he's behind it all. And so to remember the spiritual warfare, not only to respect our spiritual foe, but to, to appreciate our spiritual hero at the same time. And our impulse is to maybe, you know, protect our children. We want to we put a hedge of protection around our children, keep them away from all those evil forces in the world. And there's, there's a sense that that's true, right? And there, there's, a, there's a time to let your children grow into these things, and, and you're going to protect them and, and loosen those reins. But in the end, you can't, you can't keep them from spiritual warfare. And so if we're not training our children and those who we disciple to understand the spiritual battles going on and to, to equip them through the Word to fight this battle, we're not preparing them for battle. We're not preparing them for life. I mean, that, that's probably just, you know, that... That's the problem with legalism. It's just a bunch of fleshly rules that are supposed to protect us. And, and now we're waging war in the flesh. And that's not going to work because the spiritual forces are far greater than the flesh. We need to, at the same time, equip them with spiritual knowledge, spiritual understanding, and to teach them to run through the gospel you know, to that spiritual hero. All right, so that's our adversary. On to the armor. Probably not enough time. No, we don't. Okay, so I'll do some fill-in-the-blanks. There's tons of verses there that you can run to. Um, and if you want more, I have tons of notes on these things. But, um, you know, the devil schemes. He plans, and so must we. We have to prepare. We need to have... You don't go into battle and then put on your armor. You put on your armor so you're prepared for the battle. And because we're always engaged in warfare, we always need to be ready with this armor and, and so that we're ready. Now, overall... I don't know of any um, significance to the order given here. Maybe there is. I also am not totally, if there is, I don't know. As we go through the blessings that are tied to each of these, I don't know if it's significant that, you know, that truth is tied to the belt or righteousness to the breastplate. There might be. I just don't know what it is. I'm not going to concentrate on that today. Um, I, th I think the idea here is that it's, um, 
that it's the whole armor, right? You've got a helmet, you've got a breastplate, you've got a belt, you've got shoes, you've got a shield, you've got a sword. You're, you're, you're ready. Everything is covered. All the bases are covered. And I think that's the idea. And as we go through these, you know, this is where this, every spiritual blessing comes into play. And so we've got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, this one didn't fit as easily. You know, the shoes, but basically you get to the gospel of peace. The readiness given by the gospel of peace. You've got a shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And as you go through these, each one of these you could think, um, what does he mean by armor of God? Does that mean that's the armor? That's God's armor, so we need to be hidden in Christ so that we're in God's armor? Because, you know, He's our truth. He's our righteousness. He's our salvation. Or is this, you know, these are in the sense of, this is armor that I have left here for you to pick up, take up, fasten, put on. Um, and each of these, you can kind of see it going both ways for most of these. Now, salvation, I don't know how we, you know, we don't save ourselves. Um, but he doesn't believe for us, right? So I'm just going to suggest that we don't really bifurcate those truths. We don't, we don't think of it so much as binary in there. We've already seen that chapters 1 to 3 is, is God equipping us with truth uh, of the revelation, truth of the spiritual forces that are going on, truth of our salvation. And then chapters 4 to 6 are how do we walk? In light of that knowledge, how are we then expected to walk and conduct ourselves? And so it's, it's always the both. Both, and we talked about this with the, you know, who, who's involved in my sanctification? Is it God or is it me? We don't really want to separate those. Um, Galatians 2, which I would, wish I would have brought up that day. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. So is it Christ living or is it me living? Yes. You know, so I think as we're appropriating this armor of God, all that's true. There, there is, a, there is an, an understanding of these spiritual blessings that are only found in Christ. And yet at the same time, there's, there's, there's an action. There's, there's something that we're called to do in light of that. And so I can't unpack all that logically, but I just see that it's there in the Scripture. And you can probably take each one of these. I'll just, I'll just try to hit some of these major points. Uh, the belt of truth. In chapter 1, he says, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel. So the gospel is called the word of truth. It talks about the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the knowledge of hands. So truth, in one sense, is the unveiling of knowledge. It's revelation. It's, it's manifestation. It's making things known. Wisdom and insight. All these words that Paul uses. But also, um, truth is tied to, here I've got a nice phrase here, it's the opposite of morally complicit ignorance and falsehood. What do I mean by that? So we saw there in Ephesians 4 about the ignorance, um, the hardening, the callousness, you know, don't live as the Gentiles do. And so there, there, is, there is a complicity in your ignorance, in our ignorance. Um, we have knowledge available to us. We have the spirit available to us. For us to be ignorant at one level, is something that we're morally culpable of, and it's going to lead to our hardening. And this is where uh, Romans 1.18 comes in. 
men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so we, in our unrighteousness, we, we push down truth. We don't, it's not that, woe is me, God hasn't revealed himself. It's that he has revealed it, and we don't want to look. We don't want to think about these things. We don't want to think about spiritual warfare. And also truth, I would think, goes to the issue of sincerity. Earlier in chapter 6, we saw this last week. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. We're not putting on airs. We're not faking it. This is real truth. It's sincere truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Uh, on one hand, we see what God has done. Chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We're only forgiven because of the righteousness of Christ, righteousness of Christ and his good works. We're never saved by our own good works, and yet we're called to a life that is holy and blameless and without blemish. This is the opposite of immorality, impurity, filthiness, debauchery, uh, words that are used in chapter 5 there. And again, back to those who would claim to be spiritual, but they live completely immoral lives. They know nothing of the breastplate of righteousness. We get to the shoes. In chapter 2, it says that he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. Christ is the one who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. He's our peace. There's no, there's no peace to be found outside of Christ. And yet in chapter 4, we're called to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So there's a, there's a peace that exists in the church, and yet we're called to maintain the unity of that. Both involved there. The shield of faith. Now again, faith is clearly something we do. Jesus doesn't believe for us. And yet in chapter 2 we see that faith itself is even a gift. That we couldn't possibly have that faith unless it's given to us. Now here I just want to pause a little bit uh, and talk, what are these? It says the shield of faith so we may be able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Now what are these darts? I started running through all scripture. Uh, in my mind immediately, because I was, had read Pilgrim's Progress growing up, I had John Bunyan's view of flaming darts. And I listened to lots of sermons. And, you know, it, it doesn't really say exactly. It could be lots of things. It could be anything the devil throws at us, in a sense. And maybe this is a little fanciful, but I tried to tie these things to each of these things. Maybe that's not accurate. But I'll do it anyway, because it fit on my piece of paper that way. All right. So the first thing is that the... Let's see, I need a new color. Just the lies of the devil. So, he's, because he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. So it's like, in, in all these areas, and, and you're, you're taking up, you're putting on these pieces of armor. That, that sounds to me like faith, right? That faith is that, that apprehending of spiritual truths. And so, truth is to be found, righteousness is to be found in Christ, and by faith, you know, I, I take up that armor by faith. That's how it works in my mind anyway. John 8, again, he says, You are the father of the devil. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is coming at you with lies. Those worldly philosophies. Those, those things that... And sometimes they're not so blatantly true. There's just... There's a hint of truth and we, we start creaking open the door. Also in terms of righteousness... Um, Accusations. And I say, I tie it to righteousness because of Zechariah 3. Just a beautiful picture of justification. 
I'm going to read it all. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. (coughs) Revelation 2 says, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. So God's going to, devil's going to come to you and accuse you. He's going to remind you of your sin. He's going to remind you of what a beautiful face and and reputation you have at at church. But when you go home, you're a different person, right? He's going to try to rob you of any joy you have in salvation. We've got to remember the righteousness is, our righteousness is not based on our actions and on our failures. We have one. We have the highest of the spiritual forces who, who came. He became a man and he lived a perfect life. And it's his righteousness that we're hidden in. And so th- these accusations are not lies. Right? They're true things. The lie is that that ultimately is what um, affects my status before God. Right? That's the lie. Accept the accusations <laughs> and run to Christ. Flee to Christ. That's the shield of faith that will defeat your enemy, is to understand the righteousness of Christ. Uh, let's see. I made a change here. I'm lost. I'll get there in a second. There it is. All right. Here I'm going to talk about anxieties. God wants us to have peace. 1 Peter 5. Casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion. He's seeking to devour you. And so, we're going to flee to Christ. But Christ isn't just some objective hero. He, he understands our, our issues and he cares for us. We can cast our anxieties on him. The devil can have a filth gay if we give in to our anxieties. Um, but again, you can't, you can't battle anxieties in the flesh. You can't just have, I mean, there are probably some helpful hints of, of strategies of how to deal with things and how to think about things. And, and all the secular psychologists to tell you, it, it's, there's some good helpful hints there. Get your mind to a, a place where you can think and and medicine can be a great help. But in the end, it's a spiritual battle. The, the devil is trying to dethrone you and, and take away your blessings. We need to run to God. Think about the gospel of peace. Uh, the sword of the spirit, I'm going to tie to temptations. Matthew 4, the tempter came to Jesus, right? And of, and of course, Jesus defeated him with the word of God. The, the tempter came to him. 
First Thessalonians, for this reason I would bear, no, bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Temptations can, can undo so much good. Think of, th- think of when, uh, you know, a fallen pastor is splattered in the, in the newspapers and, and ministries are affected. Um, just uh, the, the most basic of temptations can, can undo uh, any spiritual work that we've been laboring for. Uh, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't scare you in the sense that make you focus and understand that you're at war and want to prepare and be sober-minded and be ready. I don't know what does. You, you can't just, we can't just walk through life casually and just think everything's good. You know, I'm feeling good. Things are going well in my life. Um, and not be ready for the next moment. All right. And then I want to get to action. All right. Wait. Well, I won't go too much. The helmet of salvation, Ephesians 2, says that by grace we've been saved. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. He saved us. And the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Um, it kind of goes back to understanding where our power comes from. In, in all of this, again, we don't want to resort to our own resources. We have the power of the Spirit available in us. I'm going to get to actions just so we can cover a little bit. All right, so we talked about the adversary. We've talked about our armor some. And I want to talk about our actions. And the biggest thing is, you can see in all this, when we're talking about the armor, we're just putting on equipment at this point, right? We haven't really done anything. Even though we have a sword, we haven't done anything. And actually, the word for sword there is not some big attacking sword. It's actually like a long dagger. Um, there are different words he, Paul could use there. It's very much a defensive sword. And so in many ways, this is all very passive. Right? What's your action? Your action is to prepare, to be ready, to be sober-minded, uh, preparing your minds for action. And, and so it's really an attitude, and it's a stance, and you're ready for it whenever it comes. But you haven't actually done anything. Right? Sometimes we... We think of spiritual warfare in the sense that we've got to go find those demons in the closet. And, you know, I don't know. And it's like we're on the offense against the, the forces of evil. But Jesus said that, you know, the powers of hell will come against us. They're coming. We don't have to go find them. They're going to come. We don't, we don't, in one sense, we can be way overoccupied with these things. Um, there's very much a sense, and this kind of gets into perseverance later on your, on your sheet there, that... Uh, the more, I, the more I read, I, there's a sense of you just kind of get on with life, right? You, you get on with your daily life of loving your family, evangelizing, working hard, um, leading a quiet life, um, having a righteous life in front of the Gentiles. Which is, it's not these great, grand, and glorious things. It's very much the ordinary. And as you do that, and as you're faithful, and perhaps even as you're more faithful, the darkness is going to come to you. So you don't have to go look for it. What you need to do is be ready. Carry on with your life. Persevere in the Christian life and be ready. And, and, and keep building yourself. Come to Sunday school. Come to church. Study the word yourself. And be ready. It's not until verse 18 that we actually do anything. <laughs> we haven't done anything until verse 18. What does he say? 
Now we need to pray. That's, that's our action. That's our offensive to make supplication. We pray in the Spirit. Lots of verses there um, about in the Spirit. Um, and, and Piper in that book talks about, how, you know, as we communicate to God in a war zone, it's not like texting your friend. Hey, what's up today? You know, hey, hey look at, here's my Snapchat of what I just did. How cool is it? It's very casual communication. No. The, when we pray in a war zone, it's a lot more like a walkie-talkie. Right? You, you are in battle, and you've got to communicate to headquarters because you need reinforcements. You need help. That's, that is the, the focus and mentality and attitude of prayer when, you're at, when you understand that you're a spiritual warfare. You need to communicate to God. You're not just doing it because he wants you to. Um, it feels good. This is an actually essential part of living the Christian life, of fighting our spiritual warfare. I think I'm going to stop there so we can go into some questions um, or just comments. Um, and I know there's a lot of details I've skipped over. Hopefully, if you want to know more, there's a lot of verses there to go and meditate on. Anything I said that doesn't make sense, I want to clarify. All right, yeah. He's got to leave first, so. <laughs> yeah. It's not that it doesn't make sense, maybe for clarification. Yeah. To talk about our side and God's side. We're 100% responsible to be obedient to everything God tells us to do. And we're, we're engaged in the Christian life. On the other hand, we can't do anything. Amen. Without God. So there is, there are two sides, but they're asymmetrical. They're not symmetrical. They're not the same. God is always prior. God always takes the initiative. God, ought, it's, it's otherwise, who gets the glory? And so I think that's a helpful word to throw in the mix when you're trying to talk about the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man, or in all of these dimensions. You need to keep that in mind, that it is asymmetrical. Amen. Number two, we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. But because we're still sinners, we're still attractive. Mm. So that's the already and not yet element in our sanctification. Uh, that sometimes... We are deceived. Sometimes we are drawn to that. And while those categories are hard and fast, uh, because we're still sinners, uh, we can be drawn toward God. Amen. That's all. Yeah. The rest of it's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what we mistakenly look at as blessings is what you said. Um, Satan uses to try to take away our spirit. We look at things in life that are going right um, and all the things that happen to us, um, we sometimes look at as a blessing. Really, that's a very humanistic term. Mm. And um, I mean, you see it on t shirts blessed, you know, and it's not, that's not what Satan's trying to take away. He's trying to take away all this, these um, reverence that God has. That's such a good point. 
what the world would call a blessing and what we might naturally think of a blessing might be the very thing that undoes us. Right? Hitting rock bottom might be the best thing for us. And I think that was in Job's life. He prayed for his children. He asked God to help them. God took them away. And maybe, you know, we do that too. We set up our children as this <coughs> blessing or this idol. Yeah. And then um, it brings us down. It brings us down. Amen. Yeah. You answered my question. You didn't even know you did. <laughs> and, and let me see if, if you can. I'm sort of on the right track. All this spiritual warfare is subject to God's control. Absolutely. And he uses the spiritual control. And he allows these wars and these battles and so forth for our sanctification. Absolutely. We saw that. It's very clear in Job that God is going to... Everything. It's interesting in Job is... He let him go so far. Right. He said, you can do all this, but don't touch him. Right. And then the devil comes back. Yeah, but now, now I can't touch him. Okay, so God lets him touch him. He, the devil can only go the inch as far as God allows him. Right. Exactly right. And, and one of the passages on temptation I didn't read is, we're never going to be given a temptation that's too much for us to bear. And God knows exactly what you are able, capable of bearing at this time. Did I get your answer right? Yeah. yeah. Did, I, did I hear you say yeah. that to me? Yeah. More importantly, what does that say? I created the problem, and, <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that, you know, that I understood the solution, which I think, my God. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Anything else? No? I've said it all? All right. Well, let's pray now and prepare for another hour that we can be equipped <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, in David in the Psalms, he he was always fighting against Saul. And when we read in the Psalms all the different things that David went through to uh, you know to maintain his very life, he he was a, a man after God's heart. And so when we read the Psalms, there are certain Psalms in there that that refer to his battle that he had with Saul, sometimes in the cave, sometimes out in the open. And it really helps to, to, to read those songs in that light when we're going through um, battles with the enemy, battles with the flesh or whatever, like Psalm um, 57, when, um, when David was in the cave, he said, Be gracious to me, O God, gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. In the shadow of thy wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. We're no different than David. He, Absolutely. He was human just as we were, are. And, uh, and so when, when we look at, at the things in the Psalms in that light, um, under the, the, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield of faith, all of those things, they equip us to do battle in a way that we never would ever think possible. Uh, yeah, and, and I've heard testimonies of, in some ways, a lot of the Psalms don't really hit us until we're in a struggle. And then all of a sudden, when you're in a real struggle, the Psalms take on a whole new light. 
And so sometimes in our daily reading, because, well, you know, January 7th, I come to this passage, and it's not always what you need at that moment. God knows what he's doing in your Bible plan as well. But sometimes there are specific passages that really speak to specific situations. And so when that spiritual warfare is, is more felt in a heightened level, I think the Psalms really take on a special meaning. Is, is uh, promises are so very powerful in one particular. Yeah. yeah. Or this is what your word says. This is what your word says about my granddaughter or my daughter-in-law or whatever. And they're they're being born again or else they're baptized as a baby. You can stand on those psalms, on those um, promises until your lips fall off and it doesn't matter because God in his infinite wisdom will bring it to pass when he says, okay, it's time. Amen. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the book of Ephesians. We thank you for all the truths that we've been equipped with. Uh, And we pray that we would be faithful to meditate upon them, to think about them, to believe them. And that by doing so, we'd be putting on the armor and being prepared for the spiritual battle that is around us. Uh, Pray that we, even, even with the lack of the ability to understand these things about your sovereignty and our responsibility, um, that we would somehow both completely trust in you and feel a joy and a peace in our salvation, a security in all that we have been promised, and yet never be lulled into complacency. Um, encourage us to be ready, to be sober-minded, um, and to view the physical things around us, our own experiences, our specific circumstances, as a spiritual battle. We thank you for the victor that we have in Christ. May we be always in him, running to him, claiming him, adoring and worshiping him. We pray that that would start for for us now in this next hour as as we all gather uh, as your body. In Jesus' name, amen.